0: Hello and welcome once again to episode 45 of Code Completion. We are a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name once again is Dimitri and I'll be your host for this episode. And I'm joined today by my fellow completionist, Ben. Hey, hey. And we actually have two special guests on the show today, Andrew Kozlik and Tom Marks. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hi. So before we get into our interview, it's time for our Indie App Spotlight. Uh, Today we are checking out Way by Alex Andrews, an iOS app that teaches you all about music theory. Way is organized into separate courses to teach you about applied music theory so you can take your songwriting skills to the next level. Along with bite-sized video lessons, you get musical examples, interactive exercises, and tracking tools, making it a great companion for anyone interested in music, whether you play an instrument or not. Way costs $9.99 on the iOS App Store for two complete courses with two more available as a $4.99 in-app purchase. So please be sure to support Alex by checking it out. Uh, And if you are an indie developer, we want to hear from you. Please uh, reach out to us on Twitter at CodeCompletion via DM so we can spotlight your app in the future as well. Um, So actually, Andrew uh, initially reached out to us for uh, Indie App Spotlight. But since Ben knew him, we thought it would be uh, great to invite him onto the show instead. Uh, And he brought along his uh, teammate, Tom, uh, so, uh, as I understand, both you and Tom work on an app called Recipe Box together, correct? Mind you telling us about a bit about it?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, Tom is our iOS person, and I mostly take care of web. Uh, he and I have been working on this together for like two years, something like that. Uh, Recipe Box is an app that was built to store your favorite recipes that you find on the internet. So if you find a blog or a YouTube video or anything like that, uh, you can just click a few buttons and save your recipe to your recipe box.
2: Nice. And how does how do you uh, sort of accomplish, like, you're not obviously having to re-enter the whole recipe, right? So um, how does that, or do you, like, how, basically how, how does, like, the mechanics of how do you get a recipe into the app?
1: Sure. So there are two ways to add a recipe to the app. Uh, the first is to import a URL. So you copy the URL and you paste it in the app. We also built a share extension—sorry, a share extension—that you can enable on your browser, and you can share it straight to the app, and then the recipe will be parsed and saved to your recipe box. Uh, we also Excellent. offer a way for you to manually enter a recipe. So if you have grandma's favorite fudge recipe or something like that, you mm-hmm. can enter it yourself into your app.
2: Nice. And what was the, I mean, other than maybe, like, wanting to have a place to put your own, your own recipes, was there kind of another sort of impetus to, like, get over the hump of, this would be fun to build this, to, like, oh, no, but we're really going to do this, right? Like, I'm I'm sure as a lot of our listeners who build apps and stuff are aware, right, oftentimes for me, I think of, you know, a thousand different things to build, um, and a lot of them don't get built because they just kind of don't make it over the hump of you know that would be cool to know but we should really make this right so what was your for you and tom like what was the thing that kind of made you decide let's really make it you know make it go at this
1: yeah i can maybe start let tom kind of talk about his end so for me i my daughter was actually bored uh right before we started working on recipe box and i wanted something to work on in the downtime uh, during paternity leave and just something to keep my mind busy and not just dealing with yeah. diapers and feedings, right? So yeah. I decided to build this recipe parser to see what I could do with it. And I showed it to Tom, and he really liked it. And he said, hey, I'll, I'll build the app for this. And then that's kind of how we got started.
3: Nice. Yeah. Uh, for me, it was, you know, same thing. Andrew came back from paternity leave. Uh, we were working at the same company at the same time. And he was like, hey, I had this really cool idea while I was away. I started building it. Um, check it out. So I was like, oh, that's awesome. Uh, at that time, I was really kind of like rejuvenating my love for cooking. And mm. like this app was just like perfect. It was like, it's like a <laughs> cooking based app. I can hyper focus on that outside of work. <laughs> right. And it gave me the ability to kind of experiment with uh, iOS technologies that. You know, work may not have allowed me to uh, build because I just wasn't part of like the um, the workflow, uh, not the workflow, but like the feature set that they wanted to build out at the
4: time. Mm -hmm. And so, Mm -hmm.
3: you know, in order to scratch that itch, Recipe Box was like absolutely perfect for me. And um, yeah, and you know, with the combination of cooking too, I was just all in kind of thing.
2: (laughs) Very cool. Yeah, I think that's something that's like often underrated for devs who who maybe do want to make something on the side and they're trying to decide what to do. I think like what you just said, Tom, like picking something for one that you're interested in. And then that also uh, maybe scratches like a technological itch that you have that you just aren't able to accomplish in your job because, you know, at your day your day gig, maybe they're like, we don't need to do, we're not doing recipes or we're not doing, you know, web scraping or whatever it is that, you know, or, or whatever it is, right. Location services, whatever it might be that, that it interests you. And so, you know, having a side get kind of, if nothing else, right. It gives you an ability to, to scratch that itch and, and understand that technology better, um, you know, and, and have some fun and maybe even parlay that into like skills that you can sort of, uh, you know, represent in like an, in a new job that you might get in the future.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the, I mean, it was very simple stuff, but it was like, for me, it was to build an iPad app. That was like my mm-hmm. primary one. It's like I had an iPad app, I had an iPad, sorry, but um, you know, I'd never really taken the time to build the iPad app. And yeah. so when RispyDox came around, I was just like, well, obviously it's going to be iPhone, great, but I could build an iPad right. app.
1: <laughs> right. No, going I say I had a, sort of a similar background too with that I, I want to work on some back-end technologies and use this as an opportunity yeah. to learn some of those, yeah. Nice.
0: And I think it it definitely helps when you have someone else that, uh, wants to work on this with you. Like you're not going at it solo. Uh, Mm. and therefore there's a lot more opportunities to just be like, and maybe next weekend I'll get started on this. And then (laughs) next weekend never comes right.
1: Um, recipe, recipe box would not exist if it weren't for (laughs) Tom. It it would have ended up in my pile of things. I worked on for a little bit and then stopped, but we were able to really build up on each other's momentum, uh, yeah, this one hundred percent would not exist without Tom. Nice.
0: So, when it just got its uh, got started, um, were you iterating on on it quickly, or did it start slowly? And then, once it got a certain momentum, then it was able to kind of take off.
1: Yeah, I think we were going pretty quickly. Um, mm-hmm. We were I mean, we were doing I mean, we were working on it nightly for a year, year and a half or so. Right. Um, it took us about what two months to get to the first version that we released on the app store.
4: Yeah. Yeah, that's and then every version.
1: month or so we were releasing another version and we actually had a very stripped down MVP, right? A minimal viable product. Uh, we removed a lot of features that you would have thought we should have had at launch, but we really just wanted to get version 1.0 out the door, right? Cause yeah. it's easy to keep on adding more features and, yeah. and keep on pushing out that launch date, right? Right, Feature paper is real, you right? Can do updates, mm-hmm. yeah. So just get something out, get it in people's hands. Right. And remarkably, some of the stuff that you build, or you're thinking about building may not actually be important to anybody.
2: Right, yeah. Yeah, customer validation, right? That, that's super critical to because you might think it's important, but then you release it, and then your people are like, no, we don't care about that. <laughs> right, your customers. Yeah, exactly. And then you're like, oh, well, save the time. I didn't, didn't have to make it. I didn't have to spend time on it. So you release the MVP, right? You get it out there. You you start to iterate on some of the stuff that you hear from your customers to try and sort of hone in on on the feature set that you think is most likely to be uh, what people want. Um, so, like, what is, I think, a really common probably question that, that developers would have, particularly like mobile developers, is, okay, building and putting on the App Store is a... Is a set of steps that I understand how to do because if I'm a developer, you know, especially if I like do this work for my day job, I've done it for other people, so like I know how to do that part, right? But once the app is in the App Store and it's for sale, you're like, woohoo, right? It's for sale. But as we all know, right, there's two million apps in the App Store. Putting the app in the App Store doesn't doesn't necessarily mean anything. Like no one will ever potentially see it. So what were, what was your like for both of you? Like what was the thing once you kind of took a sigh and were like, ah, oh, yes, it's released what did you, how did you approach like, okay, how are we going to start marketing this? How are we going to start, what are we going to do for ads? How are we, how are we going to sort of get people to be aware that recipe box is even a thing, right? Like what were your first steps for going from development and publishing to
1: like, you know, a business? Sure. So the first year we actually didn't charge anything. So we weren't making any money on the first year, Right. We were really just trying to build up a user base and and what we wanted was a database of recipes so we can do some really cool things like recipe recommendations. And Mm -hmm. we wanted a lot of recipes to be able to do that. So we didn't want to put up any barriers in front of us getting that data. Right. We, a lot of our growth has been organic. We actually don't run ads. Our CPIs are way too high, right? So we're not doing a subscription service right now. It's a one-time IAP. So four, right. $4. ninety nine to up, upgrade to a, the free app, okay. CPIs were like three bucks, four bucks, mm. right? It just didn't make sense for us to, to really go yeah. the advertising route. we were actually really surprised by how expensive it was. But I think those are really built for people who have consumables that are buying, like loot boxes and yeah, that sort of thing, right? 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 Can you can, Robert, but,
2: can you explain what CPI is for people? Who I'm sorry, them?
1: that's uh, cost per install. So that's how much money you're going to pay for every ad that converts to somebody installing your app. Right, and so that's like, not your so case thing,
2: right? If it's four bucks, and then you get you maybe you get five bucks from them as an upgrade, you've only really made a dollar on that person because it costs you four dollars to even get them as a user, right? So
1: right, and it's actually going to cost you a lot more than that, right? Because right. you have to take your conversion rates into into consideration. So if you yeah. get a five percent conversion rate, where one out of every twenty people is right. purchasing your app, right, you have to spend a hundred dollars right. on ads just to get that one five dollars yeah. sale. Right. So it's just not worth it. Right. right, but if you've got a okay. an, an average cost per or or sorry an average uh, value per customer that's a lot higher than your ads, right? Then it makes a lot more sense to do that. So we've really been focusing on adding the ability for users to share recipes. Right, recipes okay. are inherently uh, shareable. So right. you cook something, you bring it to a party, and people are like, oh man, give me that recipe. Mm-hmm. Right. So we we're trying to find opportunities there where people are sharing recipes to say hey here's this recipe and also go download this app recipe box right. All right.
0: so uh, has all your organic growth been attributed to that did you do anything else like on the web to market yourself in terms of like making sure you're findable on google and stuff like that or has it all just been through word of mouth
3: I think uh, I think we spent $20 on a Facebook ad and that was it <laughs> <laughs> we did it once and it was like no. <laughs> See, and it
2: didn't it didn't go very well like your your returns weren't that great so you just kind of decided that's not not for you. Yeah, that's
4: when, I, oh yeah, that's going to get really expensive. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we had um but we're always looking for opportunities for word of mouth, right? Like our users love us. Um we have a customer support channel, so we have a Zendesk set up, right? So whenever nice. people want to reach out to us with questions or anything like that, we always try to push people to leave a review on the App Store. Uh, we'll typically look to see if they're a paid user. If they're not a paid user, then we'll prompt them to say, Hey, if you really like this app, you should consider supporting us by purchasing the in-app purchase. Mm -hmm. And if they're already a paid customer, we'll say, Hey, can you go leave us a five-star review on the app store? Nice. And we've seen that that was actually really nice. Uh, as the reviews are going up in the app store, we do see our download numbers go up, right? So we're really trying to push people to do that. We do show a prompt in the app to, uh, to go and leave a review after a certain number Mm -hmm. of unique actions, right? So if you say five Mm -hmm. recipes, we assume that you like the app. So we're going to ask you to go and leave a review. And that's been really successful, really uh, successful for us.
2: Nice. So with the, like with the recipe sharing, right? I mean, I guess the idea there is that you, you want to provide some value, right? To the person who's sharing it and the person who's receiving the shared recipe, easy to share for the sender and then easy to sort of consume and understand for the receiver. But then you, you throw in that branding and the, maybe a link and stuff like that to say, hey, if you really like this recipe that your friend shared with you, they're, they're storing their recipes in recipe box. You should also do the same thing, right? And it, and it kind of – it's like a Trojan horse almost, right, where you're like you're giving them value but then you're also kind of – it's like a kind of like an ad that you're – hopefully your best customers are like doing for you.
1: Yeah, we have a – Something we've found that's been really successful for us, too, is to actually just directly ask our users. Right. Right. So instead of trying to, like, sneak the advertising into something else or anything, like, mm-hmm. we'll, say, we'll just directly say, hey, if you like this, please share it with your friends. Like, we cannot be successful yeah. if you don't share right. this with your friends. So we just really just tell people, hey, if you're enjoying it, right, we, it's really important that you support us so that we can keep mm-hmm. on doing this. Nice.
4: Yeah, I
3: right. think we've pushed out messaging in the past that said something like, uh, we're a team of three people. Uh, for now Uh, and you know that's this is the best way to support us to you know help us grow the app help us add new features
2: nice I think people respond to the authenticity of that right they're just like oh yeah okay this is not some giant like faceless corporation it's just a couple of people you know trying to make something cool
3: Uh, we've had people reach out to us that have said like uh, I'm not particularly interested in the paid features, but I'm buying them because I want to support you guys. Mm, uh, and so, nice. to me, like those are the best days. Like when I get emails and that, yeah. that from our support thing that people are saying that kind yeah. of stuff, that like that makes my day. Nothing can go wrong in that day.
1: <laughs> right. That's awesome. Yeah, we'll get messages from people who like use the app to prep their Thanksgiving dinners. Right. Like that's really cool. Like Recipe Box is part of these really important family events for people, and and mm-hmm. it's working for them. It's yeah. making their lives a little bit easier, and we really love that. We love hearing all the positive feedback. We love hearing the criticisms, too. I mean, it's right. definitely how we get we get better, and we can kind of see what parts of the app maybe aren't working for people, right? I right. think one of our challenges right now is categorizing recipes, right? Okay. That's probably one of our biggest complaints that we get is that that's not very intuitive. It's mm-hmm. not very intuitive for us either, and we built it. <laughs> so it's something <laughs> yeah. we definitely want to look at improving, and we've brought on uh, Aaron Denton as one of our uh, partners, and she's doing design work and going through and really looking at the UX of the app, right, and figuring out where can we improve these things and That's improve awesome. these things.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of temptation as an indie developer to kind of present yourself as a company um, and and talk with we all the time and be very distant from your from your users. But that kind of has a downside of people don't treat you as a human being anymore; they treat you as a business, and you get all the all the related uh, email and hate mail <laughs> that comes yeah. with it. Um, so sometimes it's it's a really good idea as an indie developer, like you both have done, uh, to present yourself as human um, as much as possible. Like, hey, it's just us three. We're just three people, and we want to make the best app that we can. And then all of a sudden people come to a realization that they're talking to other humans across the screen. And generally... Uh, tend to have a better appreciation for what is going into the app um, and why something might not work and how it can actually be fixed. Like, you're talking to the people that are going to be fixing it, not someone in between that's going to just hand off the message, maybe, probably not. Right.
3: Yeah, I I think when we started, and Andrew, correct me if I'm wrong, but we did kind of present ourselves that way. Uh, We had, like, a... uh, uh, We used Andrew's uh, uh, dog as, like, the, the name of our, like, hey, I'm Harley, welcome to recipe box, blah, blah, blah. People mm. were getting really confused by it. And um, so we kind of dropped that facade. And I feel like ever since we did that, it's been a huge improvement, huge improvement. Hmm.
1: So yeah. Authenticity has been a really helpful thing for us. For yeah.
0: sure. Yeah. So going, cool. back, going back to the in-app purchase, how did you decide what should be part of the paid feature set and what should be kept as free? Since you did take a year to decide on this, so uh, I assume a lot of thought went into uh, like which camps certain things would go into, correct?
1: Yeah, the year wasn't spent so much thinking about pricing and everything. Part of it was actually just getting the confidence to actually start charging, right? Yeah. Like It's this really weird thing to say, hey, can you give me $5 for this thing that that we built, right? Which... 5 bucks sounds like s- such a small amount of money, but it, it, there's this weird psychological hump for us to get over to actually start charging people, right? We felt like we wanted to make sure that this was worth charging for, and honestly, we probably waited way too long. The four ninety nine was kind of just in line with other apps that are out there, right? We didn't want to go too much higher. We didn't go too much lower. So most apps are running at, in this space, or at least, are running at about the $5 mark. Yeah, so we're kind of following their... their their uh, pricing structures there. And we're still trying to figure out that product market fit sort of thing too. Um, we're actually still running experiments now to try to figure out how can we align the feature set that people want against one that people want to actually pay for. So right now we charge for meal planning and being able to create your own grocery lists, but we're finding that a lot of our users don't actually care about those features. So they're not upgrading because they just don't see the value in Paying for it, right? They're getting all the functionality they want right now for free. So we're looking in that space right now to figure out how are people actually using the app, and what are some things that people are already doing that we can find a way to enhance or, or find a way to charge for. So hopefully, within the next couple of months, uh, we'll have an update out that's going to have some changes there, and we're hoping revenues start to kick up.
3: For me, the um, one of the hardest parts was imposter syndrome, so, like so that hump that Andrew was talking about a moment ago,
4: mm-hmm. like.
3: Not feeling like I'm a good enough developer to be charging people money to use the code that I've written. Uh, that was definitely a huge hurdle for me personally.
2: But. And what what made you des- decide to do a one time fee versus a subscription? I mean, certainly it's 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 the case that lots and lots and lots of apps are going subscription pricing. You know, at least according to Twitter, much to the chagrin of of all customers. Uh, I don't know if that's actually true, but certainly people often complain about stuff going to subscription. So. Uh, why why five bucks once rather than you know, maybe three dollars a year or something like that? Um, and and uh, have you found it to be have have you found your customers to be more receptive to the one time upgrade than maybe they would if if you were asking for monthly or
1: yearly uh, you know dollars? Well, we've certainly had people tell us they would not pay a, a subscription, <laughs> <Okay>. right? <laughs> So people will email us and say, hey, if I pay for this, am I getting charged monthly or is it one time, right? Uh If it's monthly, they just don't want to pay that. We've gone back and forth on this pricing model so much. Poor Tom will get messages from me at like 2 in the morning. I'm like, let's do it. Let's not do it. Let's do it. Let's not do it. Right? I'm going back and forth. and and So it's we still don't have it perfected, right? I think one of the reasons why we don't do a subscription right now is because we don't have changing content that we're producing, right? So when you're subscribing to us, we don't really have anything that you're subscribing to, right? Mm -hmm. So if we were to do things like predictive meal planning, right? So say Mm -hmm. I'm going to take your recipes and then I'm going to create a personalized meal plan just for you and here you go, right, based Mm -hmm. on your recipes, I would consider charging a subscription for that, right? Because you're getting a monthly sort of service from us, right? Right now it's really your bookmarking links and that sort of thing. Right. So I don't feel like the services that we're offering right now are really matching a subscription model. Now that said, we really do want to get there. So we're kind of having conversations right now about, do we go into a subscription model? Do we just stay free and try to do like some more social features and grow things that way? Right. So we're still, we're always kind of reevaluating and talking about our pricing model. Yeah. Cool.
2: Yeah. I think that's really important, right. To like, Just because you pick a pricing model doesn't mean that that's necessarily going to be the right model for you forever so i think that's a really good idea to kind of keep reevaluating go is it still right is this is this still what we should be doing or should we be doing something different
1: yeah an experiment like try different things right exactly we ran a sale a little while ago to see how that would go right and that went pretty well um we've talked about just different pricing do we charge four ninety nine? do we charge 3.99 $399. right um so you just run those those experiments we actually went uh, completely paid a little while ago. So right now the app is free in the download. the app is, sorry. Right now the app is free to download in the app store, and it's a four ninety nine upgrade. But we yeah. actually for a little while just said, okay, it's gonna be four ninety nine across mm-hmm. the board, right? You just mm-hmm. have to pay five bucks to download the app. At this mm-hmm. point, we had like six thousand reviews. We had four point eight mm-hmm. stars. So we mm-hmm. felt like we had the social proof to be able to say, hey, this is a great app, right? Mm-hmm. So we flipped it over to paid. We put it, you know, back up on the, app store, on the app store, and we hit like number three, number four, in paid apps in the food wow. in the food category. Well, you say wow, but <laughs> it turns out that number three or number four in the food category really translated to like eight or nine sales a day. The volume oh, wow. wasn't there. Right. So we actually found more success by making the app free and then getting that long tail conversion down the end after they've mm-hmm. actually started using the app, right? So okay. we might get 20, 30, 40 sales a day, right? Just depending right. on the day right now. We were really surprised right. by it. I think the thing that we were really more, I don't, I don't want to say jaded, but I guess the thing that kind of made me say, sometimes people say that their app is like, Number three in a category, number two in a category, uh-huh. right? Yeah. But if you don't have that volume, it doesn't mean anything, right?
2: right? So a lot of times oh, those are
1: you... vanity metrics.
2: Right, right.
1: And yeah, your, so your, your numbers say, cool. kind of
2: prove that, right? That like you were number three or number four in the category in the whole app store, which probably any normal person would be like, holy crap, that's, you know, you must be rich, right? But, it, but it, then the ranking doesn't necessarily tell you anything about the sales, right? Because
1: like you said, if there's no volume, then you're not getting the sales, yeah, we made significantly less revenue doing <laughs> it that way. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah wait to see the Categories on the Mac App Store. <laughs> yeah, yeah, It was surprising, but that's but that's the point, right? Experiment, right? right. Charge early, and and try to find that pricing model, and try to figure out what works for you, right? Like, right. I'm much more liberal now about changing prices and trying new things than maybe I was at the start of this, right? Like, we try mm-hmm. this experiment, it didn't work. Try something new.
2: And do you have any kind of um, sort of system or process that you use for doing the experiments and kind of doing it in a way that is, you know, scientific to use? I guess it's the best word to use. Just where, like, you can kind of run the experiment, collect the data, do an analysis to see how it did, right? Like, do you you have to use any tools or do you have anything, like, in particular that you're using to manage those experiments? Or is it just kind of like I go into App Store Connect, I change the price, we set the date, You know, we just see what happens.
1: For pricing, no. I think we're really just looking at the revenue, right? We see our sales numbers and did they go up? Did they go down? Right. Right. And that's really the number that ultimately matters to us right now, right? We're just trying Mm -hmm. to increase that revenue number. But we do use Firebase events tracking to do a lot of like funnel tracking and things like that, right? So we measure what percentage of users who open the app for the first time successfully authenticate or register, Right? that's mm-hmm. a really important metric for us because if somebody opens the app and they can't register they can't figure out how to get in and actually start using the app right that's mm-hmm. a long tail sale that we're losing down the end so if we can mm-hmm. increase registration success rates by like twenty percent right that might lead to a 10 15 percent uh, revenue increase in six mm-hmm. seven eight months right right and so those are the areas of the app right now that we're trying to trying to identify and trying to figure out what are the metrics that we need to put in place so that we can actually start Directly affecting revenue with some of these tests. Nice, Tom. I feel like I've too long.
0: Good. No, not at all. I think it's really good that you're open to experimenting with stuff like this. Um, when I when I had my debut on the App Store since the very early days, uh, my app was 4.99 and it stayed 4.99 for the vast majority of its history, and I was terrified of ever changing that um, because it would it could like disastrously impact me in one way or another. Um, so I think it's, it's really good that you have an open mind to trying these different techniques out and to really see um, what really works and what really doesn't. Um, for my wife's app, for instance, it's, it's food related. It's all about Vietnamese recipes. Um, and we tried, when we just put it out, we tried putting tips and the tips worked quite well, actually, um, like the, the highest tipped uh, amounts actually made more revenue than the lowest ones. Um, so, like, having a $10 tip would make way more than many small $1 tips, for instance. Um, and then we tried also moving it to subscriptions. Uh, and subscriptions didn't work out at all, uh, despite having a significant amount of downloads to kind of get the app started. Um, so, it's, it's always something that, like, you need to keep trying to see d- how different things work. Um, and I think it's, it's excellent that you kind of started off uh, with that mentality from the beginning.
3: I feel like for me, yeah, Uh, I feel like for me, um, like to, to go with what you were saying, Dimitri is with the subscriptions, I I personally have pretty high barrier before I'm going to be like, I'll subscribe to that. And so I, I personally, I make that assumption with like everyone else, probably the wrong assumption to make, but I assume that everyone's like me and no one wants to do a subscription unless they have to. And I feel like that's where like our app is like really excelled is it's like we didn't force anyone to do a subscription, and it. But then also to Andrew's point of like it does take a long time for us to convert someone eventually, so there is a, that that kind of like front um, that we have to you know we have to you know we have an expense up front that will hopefully pay off at the back end, and right yeah I think that's kind of like where we are right now. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm over here smiling, and I think Tom is smiling about the same thing, but he's told me about putting putting tips into the app countless times, <laughs> and I keep on saying, no, 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 I don't think you would be able to do that. So, Demetri, hearing you guys have success with that, after this, I'm going to be like, hey, Tom. Minor were, success. Uh, Minor Timson.
4: success.
1: <laughs> hey, man, so it's a little bit at a time Anything. that you're just building yep. up, right? So maybe somebody wants to give us some extra money. That'd be great. I don't know why I'm rejecting. We have
3: had people reach out to us through our support, being like, "Hey, do you have a tip jar? I want to send you more money." It's like that's awesome. Mm. No, we don't. (laughs) (laughs) Darn. (laughs) Only enable it (laughs) for
0: people who buy the the full app, right? There you go. There you go. go. Exactly.
2: They've already shown they're willing to give you money, so they might give you some (laughs) more. Yeah, that Fernando's
0: metric for having being successful at an app is making or anything uh, is making your first dollar, right, Fernando? Yep, that's that's it for me. If
5: I can get one dollar, it means it was worth it. No, but <laughs> but I mean, besides the joke, I think I think it's really interesting what uh, what everyone's saying in the sense that that first dollar, it
1: doesn't is matter how life changing. Yes, like it's yeah. so weird. Like it, yeah. That first sale, you're like. Oh wow, this might work, right? Yeah. Um (laughs) gives you hope. Yeah, it really does. You're like, man, like if I can do this one million more times, I'll be good to go. But like you got one, so now you got nine hundred ninety nine thousand plus to to go, you know.
0: As long Um, as it's not over twenty years, right? Then you're good.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. As long as you're open to, to charging and, and really take most risks and just put put yourself out there like that, right? Like, charge some money, see what people pay. Um, it's kind of neat. Every once in a while, you know, well, I'll go to a movie or something. I mean, not now, right? But used to go to a movie. And I would come out of the movie and be like, hey, we just made enough money to, like, cover that movie in the popcorn. You know, it's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> and it's truly passive, you know. Um, we were able to outsource some of the more manual day-to-day stuff uh, to my sister actually which has been really helpful um so it's become pretty passive for for us yeah at least as far as day-to-day operation goes
3: nice so you dropped out for a second but I think I can fill in what happened uh we hired uh Andrew's sister for our support and that has been extremely helpful like it was it's that's basically where all of our funds have been going and it's been phenomenal like best decision we've ever made
2: (laughs) Yeah, I was going to ask about yeah. that. Like, what is at, at this sort of at this stage that you're in with your app? What is what is the support load like? Um, and and like, what? How were you doing it before? And then like, how how are you doing it now? Where you've actually engaged with you know, like we just started to sort of formally help you get through that. Do
1: you want to take that one, Tom? Do you want me to?
3: Uh, yeah, sure, I can go. Uh, so when it comes to the support, um, it started off you know pretty simple of like how do I do X in the app or, Hey, can you add X feature? And, mm-hmm. you know, it would be myself and Andrew, would take kind of take turns uh, every week. We'd be like, okay, you're doing the support this <laughs> week and then I'm doing the support next week. And we would kind of like go through those and we just get the same tickets over and over and over again. And so we ended up coming up with like uh, order, not really order responses, but like responses that gave us like the, 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 the meat of the response. And mm-hmm. then we like, would, would fill out like the outside of it was something more personal. And, um, eventually like the apps, we got featured on the app store as like a, one of the, um, uh, one of the app, app picks or editor's picks or something like that. I can't remember what it's called. Mm-hmm. And that just saw our user base explode, like almost mm-hmm. overnight. It just skyrocketed. And after that, it, it started to become like a real hassle. And it was kind of like, we'd get the same tickets of, Hey, I want to change my email or, Hey, I don't remember my password or how can I get my uh, other family members onto the same account or, uh, you know, it was very much the same kind of questions over and over again. Uh, Andrew did start building out tools that were able to help us uh, to like quickly navigate those problems and, so, and um, solve them quickly. But it became such a detractor from us actually being able to spend time building out new features. And it was, it was just like this total time suck. Like we'd have our nine to five jobs and at the end of the day, it was just support tickets. And so we weren't able to actually build the app, add the features that people were asking for because it was just like, we have to respond to these people. Like they're using our app, let's help them out. We've got to, you know, we got to support them. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like it was mid-ish last year uh, when Andrew was like, Hey, you know, my sister can help out. You know, we'll uh, set aside some of the money that we've been making from uh, the purchases and uh, we can hire her we, like, we can actually hire her. and it was the absolute best investment. it is an mm-hmm. ongoing investment. I if if we never make uh, a lot of money, that that all the money that we're funding that way is 100% worth it to me <laughs> like, I absolutely love I' um, yeah, so- always like, I'm always talking about it to like, all anyone who will listen I tell them how, how much having someone there' dedicated to helping with support is, it's just. Right life-changing
1: yeah something we haven't really talked about this this isn't a full-time thing for us right we were spending our evenings doing this and what tom said we were on a rotation but basically that meant that whoever was on rotation was not going to be productive for a week so right. i would try to get ahead on some web stuff and then tom would try to do some ios stuff but we weren't able to really work together because there were nights where i'd sit down to do some coding and be like i'm right, gonna check emails real quick and then boom it's midnight And I've done nothing but answer uh, customer support emails, right? Um, It's tough. I mean, it was really slowing down our progress. So we had to make that decision to be like, okay, we've, we've been making a little bit of money. We've got a little bit of savings set up now. Let's go ahead and start reinvesting it back into the business, right? We saw a pain point. We saw that this was taking too much of our time and it was keeping us from being able to build things quickly. So let's go and put a little bit of money there. Let's bring somebody in who happened to be my sister, right? And like, let's get rid of that pain point. She also enjoys doing it. I don't like doing customer support. I, I don't, I'm not like the best customer support person is, right? <laughs> My sister's very cheery. She like is super enthusiastic. I'm so happy to have her be like the face of, our customer face of Recipe Box, you know. Um, hands down the best decision. And be careful because once you provide the opportunity for people to provide you feedback, you're going to get feedback. <laughs> and there's going to be an expectation that you're actually going to support the people that you're offering to right. support. So just be ready to for, you know, the, the amount of requests that you might get, especially in the beginning. You might spend thirty minutes of your night working on one person, right? Because you're trying to figure out, okay, this person wants to reset their email. What's really the best way for me to do that? Do I build a tool to do that? Like do I do this directly in database? Right? Like there's a lot of things that you have to figure out. So customer support is definitely a lot more time consuming than people really think when they first get started. It was definitely one of the biggest lessons that that I learned, at least.
3: And for, like for me, I've launched a couple of very small uh, apps that I'm not going to tell anyone about, and um, like I didn't get many, I didn't get any, you know, uh, feedback or any, anything like that because I like, I wasn't prompting for it. And yeah, to, so to Andrew's point: the moment you ask for it, oh, it comes flooding. <laughs> but like a lot of it, mm-hmm. it's good because you do get those days where you you'll get someone who's just like, I don't have any issues, I don't have any feature requests, I just want to tell you that I love the app. And yeah, it's so rejuvenating to get those emails.
1: That's great. Use SendDesk. That's what we use. That's probably more some practical advice, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> we do use Zendesk help centers, right? Uh, for the easy things like how do I reset my password? How do I save a recipe, right? Those general... FAQ sort of things that people come up with. We actually built up a help center page, screenshots, all that good stuff. Uh, Zendesk offers us to be able to set up macros so we can do like an auto, not auto reply, but it'll auto fill a response to people. So we can like be like, okay, here's the link to how to reset your password, right? And so it really speeds up the process of uh, responding to those people. But it's been a fantastic service. Yeah. Don't be afraid to spend money on your app when you're starting to make money, right? It's really easy in the beginning to be like, okay, I want to try to save as much of this as possible, but it's really important to put money into if you really want it to grow, right? It's important to put some money into some of the other things that will help you kind of be a lot more efficient with your time, especially if you're moonlighting.
5: (laughs) Yeah how how is uh, how is that moonlighting going? Like, would you uh, did you ever consider like Oh, we should like save up six months and then just try it out. Or was it always like obvious that no, we got to do a nine to five and then spend our evenings on this?
3: For me, um, I I personally have like a uh, an issue with risk, <laughs> and so jumping into <laughs> an app like and committing to that like full time one hundred percent, it is an absolute desire and an absolute want that I have. But I have a lot of like hesitations uh because like i want to make sure that i can cover my mortgage next month and (laughs) i want to make sure that you know i can put food on the table and uh stuff like that so it to me like it not necessarily it's not necessarily about like uh saving up for six months and then like dropping everything you're doing to focus on it if i had the ability and the um the like financial support to do that without like you know, going into extreme debt, I would do it in a heartbeat. Like, don't get me wrong, I would absolutely jump and do that. Uh, but it's, it, it's a scary thing. Yeah, I got to admit, it's a scary, it's a scary thing.
1: Yeah, I want to go full time more than anything. From yeah. the bottom of my heart, I want to do this full time. Um, wish I'd done it ten years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a daughter now, right? Like, she's got a heart condition, so we've got to make sure we got the health insurance and all that stuff in place, right, the level of my responsibilities right now is vastly higher than it was 10 years ago. So I wish I had done it earlier. That said, we are trying to make the right moves right now so we can eventually go full time with it. Um, don't tell my job that. But we'll definitely <laughs> be, uh, <laughs> we're definitely trying to push that way. And it's actually making us a little bit more strategic about the things that we're working on, right? Like We know that in order to do that, we have to increase revenue. So right now, we're only working on features and only working on enhancements that are going to increase our revenue. Everything else is nice to have, but if we really want this to be a full-time thing, then we need to focus on things that are actually gonna bring us enough money that we can do it full-time. So we're making pretty aggressive product decisions and, and putting some things off on hold that like sound really cool to work on, but maybe don't have direct impact on revenue, right? right. Um, I really, really, really wanna work on our search engine for recipes, right? I think there's a lot of things that we can do there, but I'm having to put it off a little bit while we try to figure out how do we get this product market fit aligned and everything.
2: Have you considered, in those discussions about going full time, have you considered like taking on investors or doing crowdfunding or in some in some sort of some sort of fashion uh, like raising capital for you to then use to invest in your business?
1: Yes. <laughs> um, right now, we're still trying to bootstrap, right? Part of it is a stubbornness thing, right? Like, I want to make sure that we're owning the majority of what we're building. Yeah. That's really important to, to me, and I think it's important to Tom. I don't want to speak for him, but I think it's important to Tom as well. No, absolutely um, Part of it is, honestly, for me, part of it is imposter syndromes, right? Like, uh-huh. even now, like, we have revenue coming in. And I'm like, well, why would anybody ever want to invest in us, right? Right. right? I still kind of look at this. But meanwhile, it's like we don't have like – we're not making like you know 100 grand a month or something like that. But we're making like enough where it's like we can prove that we can make money on this, right? right. If right. we scaled it, we can make more money. Mm-hmm. Like it probably would be a good target for somebody who wanted to be a like an angel investor or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, but it's kind of back into like – just like in the beginning when I was like why would anybody pay for something that we built? So why would anybody invest in something that we build, right? There probably right. are people out there who would, and it might be worth having those conversations. Yeah. Um, I think when we finally get to the point where it's like we really need to do this full time, but we're not making the revenue, I think it'll, we'll start looking at that as more serious of, a, of an option. Yeah. But right now, there's no no hurry. But if the right thing came along, sure we'll talk.
2: Nice. There yeah. are so there are in addition to like angels and kind of that traditional like VC route, right? There's also crowdfunding, which has really only become available. In the last couple of years and that's because of the changes that were made to u.s law to allow people who are not accredited investors to be able to invest in companies um so uh sites like republic now so like if you've never seen republic it's kind of like um like kickstarter but rather than investing in a product that you're kind of sort of pre-ordering really you're investing but you're sort of the presumption is that at the end you're going to get the product in return Uh, republic is an example of a platform where it looks actually very similar in in its in its presentation but you're just you're just straight up giving a company dollars you know your dollars and in exchange you're getting equity in their business you know a small amount probably um and they then collect you know a hundred five hundred a thousand dollars from lots and lots and lots of people rather than collecting a million dollars from one person um and and kind of the effect is the same so while uh you you end up in theory in the same place Nobody ha- Nobody's like taken, you know, a giant chunk of your company because it's lots of little, little, t- tiny, tiny chunks. Um, another one that's become really popular is there are several examples, and I can only think of one right now, but it's called non-dilutive capital raising. Um, and an example of that is a company called Pipe. They're pretty new, but basically they're actually literally built for companies that uh, already have traction, already have. Uh, recurring, you know, regular revenue, stuff like that, um, particularly if you guys were a SaaS business where you were, if you were doing, uh, you know, month to month or or yearly subscriptions, that's even better. But either way, you have revenue um, where they they will invest in your company. Um, but by it being non-deleted, what they mean by that is that basically it doesn't dilute your ownership in the, the company. So uh, it's a way to raise capital without giving away a whole giant chunk of it. Um, so it's, I've been Really interested in that kind of stuff lately, so I, I've uh, I've done like deep dives into some of these things, and it's been really kind of cool to see. Just in even the last couple of years, the the additional ways that you guys could could increase your um you know your velocity by injecting some money into your business without necessarily having to go kind of to that sort of very traditional like go to some super rich VC and and do a pitch and try and try and get you know trade cash for for ownership. Um, there, there are, there are some new and interesting ways to do it too, where, that you know, that really just weren't even available before.
1: That's cool. Yeah, we'll definitely check that out.
0: Yeah. There's a certain nice thing too about like running a business that does not necessarily have investors in it, as well, um, not just from like an ownership point of view, uh, but just you have a business that's generating re- reoccurring revenue to pay you to do continue doing what you love, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that is something that seems like it's getting rarer and rarer in the technology space, but is kept alive through indie developers. Like The only, the only businesses that keep doing this are indie developers that don't necessarily grow to dozens upon dozens of people. Um, like Sometimes you just don't need that if what you're generating is enough to keep you doing what you're doing, right?
1: Yeah, I think part of our thing right now, too, is I don't necessarily know that our ambition aligns with what an investor would be looking for. Right. Yeah. So usually it's gonna be like we want this to turn into a hundred million dollar, billion dollar business or whatever, right? Um, when you read a lot, of, you, you, you kinda of read a lot about people disparaging this sort of lifestyle business, right? But <laughs> right. a lifestyle business is basically exactly what I want to build. Right? Like mm-hmm. I'm not looking to conquer the world, right? I don't want all the pressure of coming with running a sixty, seventy, eighty million dollar company, right? If I can make enough money to cover the mortgage, keep my family fed and have more time to spend with them. That's ultimately my goal, right? Yeah. Um, running a company that big or with that much revenue is just own set of challenges that I don't know if I'm really built for that. Yeah. Yeah, I think- A lot of soul when, searching well, when you're in this spot.
4: Yeah.
3: When um, when we were first staying up, we would you know go to lunch when we were working together at the other company. Uh, and we'd just be, you know, sitting there joking about, ah, oh, and oh, not joking, but like, uh, daydreaming about, oh, wouldn't it be amazing that, you know, if all we did was just work on Rusty Box, you know, a few hours a week, kind of push out new release and stuff like that. And we were getting enough revenue to pay for our mortgage. That was like our goal. Mm-hmm. It was just like, let's just mm-hmm. get the mortgages paid for. Cause like, that's a huge chunk, uh, of like, your uh, just nine to five wages, honestly. And so, I, I, to me at least that's kind of like my current goal is like let's get our revenue up to that point and then once we hit that point let's think about what's next um, I feel like having that kind of like shorter term potentially more reasonable financial goal um, it, you know, is helpful I don't know
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, we've got an actual goal set right now, so the first one we're trying to hit right I, I'll talk openly about it, like whatever um, so the first revenue goal that we're trying to hit right now, is like five, five grand a month, right? So we want to be able to just consistently be hit in five grand a month. Ultimately, I think we want to hit about 30 grand a month. So if we can hit 30 grand a month, that's about where I'll be like, okay, I feel comfortable stopping and doing this full time, right? Mm-hmm. That's based mm-hmm. on our ownership per- ownership percentages and how it, everything mm-hmm. would be distributed and everything, right? So we have to really hit a lot of revenue to be able to hit those those numbers, Right. We're not there yet, but it does feel like we're starting to make the right decisions and start trending up, right? We've got an Android app on the way. We're starting to expand our website a little bit more, right? So nice. I think we have a lot of opportunities there to open up other revenue channel- channels. Um, we're working on figuring out ways to get sponsored content, right? So we're working, we're trying to work with uh, companies who sell food products, so spices, things, basically things people use when they cook, right? so we can say, hey, we'll let you put sponsored recipes into the app that people can save to give you brand exposure for X amount per month, right? Whatever that right, amount is. Right. So we have a couple of people who we're talking to about that, or that we're talking to about that. Um, I'm really excited about that as like a potential revenue model. So we're just trying to drive those numbers up right now.
2: Nice. Have you thought about like in sort of, I feel like this is something kind of similar to that idea, which is to... Uh, dig into like some social media um you know like not really an, not necessarily an ad but more like getting influencers who might be in maybe like the cooking space or something um to to talk about recipe box on their tiktok or on instagram or you know that kind of thing have you, have you thought about sort of approaching marketing and like in that kind of like sponsored content content way rather than like just a regular old ad
1: yeah, the problem is uh, you're running the same problems we we're talking to earlier about CPIs, right? Yeah. The, ultimately, like, you have to be able to make enough money to make those things or to justify the cost of those things. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, somebody charges us ten thousand dollars or whatever for a month <laughs> right. of right. revenue, right? Yeah. I have right. got to get a lot of people that that influencer <laughs> better be very influential, <laughs> right. right? Yeah. So yeah. it's just the, the the paid routes just aren't working for us right now. That said, down the line, maybe, right? If we switch to a monthly fee and everything like that, right. then right. that might open us some more options. But for right now, it's just not right for us.
2: And to opinion. jump back to what you said about, the, about Android and, and the web, um, what, did you have any kind of like metrics or any kind of KPIs or, or anything that you use to kind of help decide, okay, we have our iOS app? when and how are we going to expand to Android and then like when and how are we going to maybe fill out our web presence to be more, you know, to have more, more feature parity uh, than maybe what it had at the beginning. Like, how did you make those yeah, really you business level decisions about when to do it?
3: Sure. Uh, so we got a lot of support emails of people asking for an <laughs> Android app. That was kind of like our big deciding factor of, okay, we should build an Android app because it was like, it was pretty intense. It was like every, I don't know, I want to say at least minimum, bare minimum once a week, we were having uh, you know, a few people reaching out to us, being like, Hey, it uh, was an Android app that I, you know, my uh, my mm-hmm. kids can download or my, my wife mm-hmm. can download or my husband can download stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like understanding that, yes, there are very mixed technology households um, mm-hmm. Not all, not everyone's gonna align with like Apple or Google or right. uh, you know somewhere in between there um, it's completely mixed and so yeah being able to support all users within, within a, a single house yeah, I think that was like one of our big goals for uh, at least the Android uh, Android app
1: yeah and, and we want to expand beyond a primarily us audience right mm-hmm. and Android's still you know, the dominating platform in other Mm -hmm. places in the world. So by making the Android app available, right, like let's just go to some of those other markets, especially emerging markets like India and China and areas like that. Mm -hmm. So I think ultimately if we want to drive up revenue, right, we just got to get this in the hands of more people. We're kind of locked by how much advertising we can do, right, which we talked Mm -hmm. about a little bit. So we really had to figure out what are some other channels where we can get growth without having to pay for ads, and for us right. it's you know it's opened up a whole new platform where people can use the app and we can try to right. you know grab users from there makes
2: sense
0: i mean the challenges right have you considered uh taking a look at mac catalyst as well uh, perhaps a mac app could be great for editing or categorization um
3: i have that on my computer <laughs> it <laughs> nice. is not i cannot Your sneak really preview it is, oh it is so buggy <laughs> not mac catalyst itself but like the, uh, the app, like I didn't, I've literally got it enough, I made enough changes in my uh, fixes within the code base for it to launch. And that's kind of where I was like, there's a lot of work I have to do here. A lot of the paradigms that we have in the app um, just don't translate across to the Mac at all. And so it's like, do we release something that just feels wrong? Like, every, like when I'm using right. it, it just feels wrong. It's like, <laughs> shouldn't work like this and uh, but in order to you know make it work the way that one would expect it to that's it's a whole another level of uh challenges and uh time investment uh and is there a user base for it we honestly i don't think we've received any emails of, of people asking for a mac app so that's kind of where it's like it's a desire i've been able to uh muck around in the code to make it work so i you know i've been able to scratch that itch of hey, I want to convert my iPad app to a Mac app. But then it's like, okay, now I need to actually seriously invest the time to make it worthy of being of being released. And I'm not talking about like my imposter syndrome of, oh, I don't think it's worthy of being released. I mean, like it's, it's not good. It's not a good experience. <laughs> right. So it's just like, let's hold off on that. Wait for the desire for one app to, you know, for that app to be there. And then, um, but just focus on making like the iOS and the, uh, iPadOS apps just as great as they can be.
2: Makes sense.
0: Yeah, I'll leave a, a link in the show notes. But Steve Trotten Smith on Twitter has a bunch of threads uh, where he goes through the process of uh, making a good Catalyst Mac app. So uh, if anyone else is in the same same boat as you are, Tom, uh, <laughs> where uh, they want to make something that is respectful of their users and not necessarily just thrown together quickly, uh, yeah. then there is. A bit of work that needs to be done but it's also possible um where in the previous versions of mac os it may have felt like it was not really possible to make a good uh app
1: right yeah we have to have a lot of honest conversations with with ourselves about where we're going to spend our time right we've only got a couple hours a night maybe to be able to work on something you need to really spend make sure you're spending that your time on the right things and right it does make it harder to take risks on things like building an app, right? Or a Mac app, right? If you don't really know if people are asking for it. Meanwhile, we've got another group of people over here saying like, yeah, we want an Android app. So it's like, okay, cool. At least there's some noise over here saying this is something that's missing in the market. Um, yeah, we're just constantly making decisions like that about which's the right thing to be working on.
3: And they're and hard to keep decisions. track
1: of that. Or... Yeah. Yeah,
3: like, yeah we really don't always agree. Exactly, yeah. We don't get into fisticuffs
1: or anything, but. I've got, I've got like a foot on Tom anyway. (laughs) But yeah. um, You don't. Yeah, yeah, it's it's true. (laughs) No, but having those, that's that's one of the nice things about having a partner, right? Um, We can talk through those things And, and having the right partner. Tom and I have had a lot of very honest and frank conversations about the business and things we want to do and Mm -hmm. hearing each other out. And yeah, I I feel like he always hears me. I I hope he feels like I hear him when, when we're uh, talking about that stuff. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, you don't always have to agree, but it's important to come to a decision and then execute it. Right. Don't flip flop, decide on a decision and just go and don't wait too long to make decisions. Right. Like, if you're having a conversation about something, resolve it on that call, right? Resolve it in that conversation. Don't let it drag on, drag on, drag on, and then not get ended because then we just make a decision and we just move on to the next thing.
3: Yeah, I, I think one of the, yeah. uh, like to give like a a, a real example was uh, when we were coming to the solution of how do we charge for the app, how do we charge for these new features? Mm-hmm. I was in that basket of uh, let's do a subscription. That's what Apple's pushing, that's what Google's pushing, Like. If you mm-hmm. go onto like their developer portals, they are pushing those things really oh, hard. Yeah. They're like, everyone should be doing subscriptions, uh, mm-hmm. rah, rah, rah. And then, and I was that was my argument. I was just like, they're pushing us down this direction, and then like, so we should, you know, we should do that because we'll get recurring revenue. Uh, all that kind of stuff is fun, but then Andrew made the great point of we're not producing things regularly enough. Like we're not delivering big new features. We're not delivering. Um like customized recipes uh that you know we, we weren't really we weren't delivering content that's how mm-hmm. it came out and so when you think about it that way so it's like, okay okay let me if i'm if I'm subscribing to something would I be angry at that and you have to check your assumptions like it's easy to make an assumption on something and mm-hmm. if you're not open to uh reviewing that assumption and looking at it under a different light then it You know, you can get stuck in this kind of churn of I'm doing all this great stuff, but nothing's coming from it. And I feel like that was one of the uh, conversations that we had that it was quite deep. It lasted a month. Like we were just going back and forth, literally a a month. It was, yeah, it was a long while. And I I was very passionate about the the subscription model. I'm really thankful we didn't do that. (laughs) I'm really, really thankful (laughs) we didn't go that road Uh, because it wasn't the right choice for us. Uh, it's still not the right choice for us today. Um, and so I think being able to take criticism from someone else and, but don't take it personally like that. You have to take the assumption that I know I just said, check your assumptions, but you have to take the assumption that the other person is, they have the best interest of the thing that you're building together. And it's not, mm-hmm. they're not just trying to get more for them um, or, you know, they're not trying to make it about them. It's it's literally like, this is the product that we're trying to build together. That's I want to make it the best thing possible. Talk through it mm-hmm. like that. Like, I think that's a good assumption is to just um, the assumption of positive intent.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: For me, I mean that's that's always a, a huge helper when it comes to like those tough decisions.
1: Uh, yeah. yeah. Really talk through why are you feeling the way you want to feel about this idea, right? Um, to what Tom said, I had very specific concerns about charging a subscription model. I'm actually really happy to hear him say that he feels like that that was ultimately the right decision to make. Because to this day, I don't know that it was right. Like, I, that's probably one of the biggest things that, or one of the biggest doubts I have in the back of my head is like, man, should we be charging subscription? It's like once a week, probably. I'm thinking about it. And, you know, it's just this thing that everybody says you should charge a subscription, right? You hear it so many times, it really makes you challenge, like, am I making the right decision, right? Do we make the right decision as a group? Um, I don't know. But that was definitely the hardest conversation that we've had as a a team, and it it did drag on for a little while, but it seems like it's worked out, you know? And we can always change in the future, right? And I think it's what we said also during that time, was, like, we can always try a subscription. Um, There's some good services out there now that make it a little bit easier to do that, right? So it would definitely you know, we'd have to make some changes to be able to support that, but you know, we, we could ultimately try that. Yeah. But yeah, it's having a partnership is definitely important. And it's definitely uh, it's great. But it's, it's got its own challenges.
3: It's also like, and going back to the checking your own assumptions, it's uh, uh, when you have a partnership, you can b- build something or like prototype something and be like, here, try it. Tell me what you think. I'm not going to tell you anything about it. If you can figure it out and you, you can understand how it's going to work. Awesome. But that never is the case. <laughs> it's never the case. It's always like, I thought this was going to do X. And it's like, oh, that's a good point. I need to go at that. Um, trying to, I'm, Now that I brought that up, I'm trying to think of an example of uh, a time that we've done that. Uh, and maybe I can circle back to it later. But um, yeah, like checking your assumptions. Honestly, that's the, one of the best things you can do.
2: And more eyes, right? Just more eyes on the problem yes. is, is yes. always good, right? Because yes. you're like you're, you said- so- you're going to have a perspective that the other person doesn't have. Right. And, and that's always going to be true. So you're, I mean, I I actually just worked on a problem today at work with um, one of my colleagues who's a designer. And, uh, and I was like, we should do it like X, like this. Right. And I was like, these two things should exist. And he was like, but why? And then I was, I explained it to him and then, and then he's like, yeah, but like, what if we just did it this way? And I was like, oh yeah, that's much better. Right. (laughs) As (laughs) As soon as he added his, he 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 checked my assumption right he checked sort of what i thought was the right answer and i was and i kind of was like yeah but this is isn't this the obvious choice and then as soon as he explained his perspective i was like oh that is actually better like it not not only not only it's and it wasn't a, it really wasn't a tweak of what i was doing it was just a different approach and i was like you know what i agree with you let's abandon my idea and go with yours instead because it's it's clearly better um and I and like if it was just me working on it, I wouldn't have. I probably wouldn't have gotten there. But because of that extra perspective, I was able to you know to figure that out. Yeah,
4: absolutely.
1: Well, the thing with being a yeah, the thing with being developers, right? Cause I think are we all developers here? I think we are. Yes. Um, you always want to be right. Yeah, right. <laughs> so when the conflict comes up, right, especially when you're arguing with another developer, and people say it's in their team sometimes or whatever, right? Like everybody always wants to be the person that's like, okay, cool, I was right. Um, you've really got to check that, right? And, and come at these conversations with a perspective that's like, you might not be right. Like, you might be very, very wrong.
2: Right. Um,
1: you've really got to listen to the person and understand where they're coming from. And not just in your product, but just like in your day life, right? Yeah. But being able to be open to the people's perspective and really listen and actively listen to what they're saying. Um, it's incredibly important. Yeah, for sure.
0: On the topic of working on a very like very small team just the two of you and then slowly adding uh more members have you just been communicating over iMessage do you have a Slack uh do you FaceTime every week what is your workflow there to kind of keep up with what each of you is doing
4: yes to yeah I think ours.
1: we'd be remiss in saying that uh we have our our designer Erin she's been with us now for like a year or so right so at this point I consider us definitely be a team of three right um for include my sister right um Aaron's been amazing. We actually primarily use iMessage, right? We've got a Slack for doing things like code formatting and things like that, where we maybe really can talk through some more of the technical things, posting API responses and that sort of thing. But we have a, uh, uh, iMessage group called box party, right? With <laughs> our little company as It's the, the icon or whatever. And that's where we really talk through most everything. Um, these poor people have to deal with me sending messages at one o'clock, two o'clock, three in the morning. <laughs> I think I'm muted, but it's probably the smartest thing the to do. The whole channel, the whole and, channel's it, muted. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's been, it's worked out great though. Like it's, it's a simple solution, and it's been, I can get it on my Mac and get it on my phone. Like it's been, it's been fine. I've been surprisingly fine.
2: Tom hasn't seen any of your messages for like the last six months because he's just got the whole thing you did.
1: I don't blame him. I'm yeah. probably Were blocked. we
2: still using
0: that iMessage group? Uh.
1: Yeah. I'll send a whole block and I'll just be like, I'm sorry. I'm the worst <laughs> person to text with too because most people, they'll put together their thoughts in like a paragraph and I just send one sentence at a time. Mm. So we should do this. Let's do this. Ever. Let's do this. Etter. And then we do this. Etter. So if you're getting messages from me and you have a sound on, it's just going ding,
3: ding, 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 ding. <laughs> or if you're wearing one of these yeah, watches, sure you get a nonsense. little uh, uh-huh. massage on the wrist. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: funny. So as we tied together this interview, was there anything else that you wanted to share about the development process or running uh, Recipe Box as a company?
1: Don't tie You're ready to minutes. wear a lot of hats i go ahead tom
3: <laughs> don't tightly couple your view controllers don't tightly couple your models to each other and uh there's definitely a lot of lessons one learns when uh developing an app for production because once it hits production it's you have to support everything all those past decisions that you've made um well not all of them you can like write them but it takes time to do that and yeah i think uh you don't necessarily have to like architect it to the know to the nth degree, but have some kind of plan um like just just a high level plan of like oh, I'm gonna have a service that is dedicated to this and only this, and uh I'm gonna have a view model that is you know for this view, and that's it <laughs> uh and so it makes things testable as well at the same time if you do it that way uh that was a mistake I made. I'm trying to correct it currently. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, be ready to wear a lot of hats, especially at the beginning, right? Um, I mean, we're like product owners, designers, developers, customer service reps, business people, accountants, sometimes, right? You have to be prepared for that. You really can't just develop, um, and having a plan is critically important. We actually wrote a like a product requirements document before we even began working on anything, where we just, through text, like a document, just outlined what is it that we're gonna build, right? Like We really laid out a plan and said, okay, this is what the app is going to do. People can register, people can add recipes. How can people add recipes, right? They can import URLs can do this. And we didn't get into like the UX, but really just try to capture all of the things that people need to be able to do within the app. And then we looked at that list and said, okay, what of these are critically important to have, especially in our first version. And we cut, I think we cut search out, we cut some major features out that we didn't feel like were actually MVP. I think search was the big one that we cut out.
3: We also cut Um, um, uh, custom images uh, for custom recipes. We cut that as well. So the only images that you could get were ones that came through the importing process. Uh, Yeah,
1: you couldn't take a photo of your food or anything like that. Yeah. Right, but that was just to get those things out the door. But had we not taken a step back and documented all of that stuff and then had a conversation about it, we might have built the wrong thing, right? Or we might not have gotten version 1.0 out the, out the door because we were too focused on building too many features or the wrong features or anything like that, right? So having a plan and being ready to kind of chip in on a lot of areas where you might be uncomfortable is critically important if you want really to get something finished and out the door yeah
2: it's Oh, and, fun,
1: uh, I love it one
3: one other note is to just echo what Ben said earlier of get eyes on the whole process
4: yeah. just get
3: other people's eyes on the whole process like we had we had people like playing uh, I had my wife playing with like prototypes uh, like things that I was just building in, uh, I think I was using keynote at the time and it was just like just grab little objects place it here and there and it doesn't make sense that like if you tap on this spot it goes over here like Do those things make sense? And yeah, getting more eyes onto the product early uh, really helps with your iterations.
1: And making sure that you're clear, that you're asking for real feedback. Like, be mean to me. Like, don't attack my my personality. But like, attack the the app, right? Like, I want you to really tell me what's wrong here. Would you use this? Oh, yeah, maybe, maybe I'll do this, whatever. No, would you really use this? No. Why not? X, Y, Z, right? Um, people generally want to be agreeable, right? They don't want to hurt your feelings, especially when you've been working on something hard. So maybe they would soften some of their feedback or maybe not give you feedback they otherwise might if they didn't want to like come off as negative or something like that. So if you're going to get feedback from people, make sure that you're explicitly saying, like, I want to hear the criticisms. Like, I'm okay with doing that. And you as a developer need to be open to those criticisms because it's very hard When you hand somebody something and they're like, this sucks, this break, it breaks, it doesn't work or whatever, right? Like, I don't like this because you kind of put your heart and soul into it and you feel like that app is like an extension of you and they say, I don't don't like this. It feels like they're saying, I don't like you. Right. And it's easy to to take some of those criticisms personally. It's really important that you don't, right? It's just a product. And being able to listen to those things and take that feedback and then adjust and, and make changes is great and understanding which feedback to throw out, right? Some people just don't give good feedback or they'll get feedback that's like maybe valid for them, but not the bulk of your users, right? Um, so really figuring out how to evaluate those things, understand what's, what's good feedback, what's gonna work for your customer base, right? It comes over time, it's something we still work on, but it's really important.
3: Yeah, one of the um, best uh, sayings, or I, I, guess, yeah, I guess it's a saying, uh, that I was ever told was, you are not your code. Like ultimately, right there, you are not your code. Don't take it personally. Everyone, everyone is wrong some of the time, and <laughs> yeah, like if someone is giving you feedback and it's honest and open feedback, that's the best feedback you're going to get. So
1: that's a lot of final thoughts. Sorry.
2: <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs>
1: I'll talk about this stuff all night. Love it.
2: It's good. No, that's why we wanted you on the show.
0: It gives us a good excuse to have you back again next time, right? Yeah.
2: Exactly
1: would love to do it. Yeah,
0: this has been fun. So this week's episode of Code Completion is brought to you by Sticky Widgets. Sticky Widgets is the absolute easiest way to put a sticky note on your home screen and edit it quickly. It's so easy, you never need to open the app itself. Add a sticky widget to your home screen through the iOS home screen editor and tap on it to edit. That's about it. Of course, there's tons of customization options as well. Font, color, text size, alignment, all conveniently located in the system's edit widget interface. Add as many sticky widgets as you like or put them in a smart stack. Sticky Widgets are digital sticky notes for your phone. Use them however you'd like. Sticky Widgets is a free download on the App Store, and additional font and color options are available for a one-time in-app purchase. Thank you so much to Sticky Widgets for sponsoring Code Completion. Check out Sticky Widgets on the iOS App Store today. So now that we've gone through our interview, it's time for Complete the Code, where we quiz our listeners on your knowledge of Swift, Apple, and all things development. Spencer's out this week, so let's go over last week's Swift UI question again. And if you're listening to the podcast, a reminder that you can check the podcast art or the show notes uh, to follow along. So we have a SwiftUI body with an if-else statement, checking the value of a property is logged in. If true, we build a text view that says you are logged in, while if it is false, we build a text view that says you must first log in. Uh, Why is this SwiftUI code not advisable and how can you fix it? So if you can complete the code, tweet your answers to us with hashtag complete the code, all one word. The first to get it right will get a shout out on next week's show. And with all that out of the way, it's time for Compiler Error, uh, my favorite segment where I get to test my fellow completionist's knowledge and our guest knowledge about Swift, Apple, and all things development. Uh, The rules are simple. Uh, Three of the statements are completely factual and true, uh, but one is an outright lie that I made up uh, called the Compiler Error. I go through each one of you one by one to see which one you think is the error and encourage you to think out loud as you consider each option. Uh, So today we have a theme, and let me remember to record first. So today we have a theme, and that theme is Apple antitrust cases, Uh, since Apple is constantly in the news. (laughs) I figured this one is perfect. Uh, So let's go through uh, them one by one. So statement number one, in its first antitrust case, Apple Computer was sued in 1997 by publishing houses for not licensing its macOS system software to run on other compatible hardware at the time. Statement number two, Apple was sued in 2005 for allegedly operating a music downloading monopoly through iTunes and the iPod music player, preventing real networks music from playing on iPods. Statement number three, just a few months after the original iPhone was released, Apple was sued in a case that lasted until 2019, partly over the fact that the just released device could not run third-party apps. And statement number four, after only a year and a half of litigation, Apple's found guilty in a case where there was compelling evidence that they played a central role to eliminate retail competition. So, uh, those are our four statements uh, for today, Fernando. Uh, since you joined in quietly mid episode, you got to go first. That's your punish.
2: Yay. That's your punishment is for coming in late. You got to go first. <laughs> uh...
5: This is interesting. Um, Number one sounds plausible. Uh, God, I can't remember the exact year when Jobs returned. Because when he did... I'm pretty sure one of the first things he did was just like cut the clones. Um, And I'm sure that could have happened. And 97 sounds like around that time. Um, 2005. I, I actually... Don't remember if you could play Real Networks on an iPod or not. That's, that's interesting. Um, the other two, uh, litigation takes a long time, so I could, I could believe either. I'm going to say number two. There's something about Real Networks that I remember that's, that's my gut feeling. That's all I have to say.
0: <laughs> an excellent choice. Uh, so Andrew now that you know how the game works why don't you go ahead
1: alright pop quiz today huh yeah <laughs> every episode I feel like number one is plausible I mean that seems that seems like I've heard of that so I'm flipping between number two I can't tell if number four references the reason ruling I feel like it does So it's probably between number two and number three. I'm going to go with number three.
0: An equally excellent choice.
2: Just for the record, he's going to say that they're all excellent choices. (laughs) (laughs) You get get no help there. I did
1: think that was a helpful question. Yeah. Yeah, if I just have Dimitri (laughs) follow me around and as I'm picking out groceries, that's an excellent (laughs) choice. Excellent choice.
4: (laughs) (laughs)
0: So, Tom, why don't you go next? And you're welcome to pick the same ones, different ones. You're all against me, yeah. so.
3: <laughs> excellent, excellent. Um, you know what? Uh, the, so I've been thinking about it, and I feel like the first one is real. Um, because I feel like that is roughly around the time that Jobs returned, and then you know took a while for them to come out with the iMac and all that kind of stuff. Uh 2005, the only thing that's kind of tripping me up on number two is I personally never heard of real networks. Uh, I wasn't really into tech in 2005. So uh, the whole iPod thing, I was literally just like, oh, it's an iPod, it's fancy. Uh, That was kind of like my extent of technology understanding at that time. Um, I was like a musician, you know, playing music, that kind of stuff. Like absolutely not thinking about tech. Um, Number three, Apple sued... Um, that one feels weird to me. I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. Number three feels weird, but I it doesn't sound wrong. If that makes sense. Um. So, order of elimination. I am going to YOLO and say number four. <laughs> I don't recall hearing about. Uh, Apple having a central role in eliminating retail competition that sounds strange to me. I mean I don't think they ever really sued like the Microsoft stores or stuff like that because they kind of copy pasted. But um yeah, I'll stick with four. I'm with
4: four.
2: An excellent choice as well. Uh so Ben? All right, so I, the advantage going last is that I get to hear everybody's uh, thought process. Uh, I don't know that that necessarily helps or not because I've definitely won and lost wh- whether that's true or not, but uh, but 97, I'm almost positive is when Jobs came back, um, and he did immediately put a kibosh on all of the clones, uh, and I could totally see particularly um, uh, publishing houses being upset about that and wanting to sue. Uh, so that seems very plausible. The whole real networks thing. I know there was beef there. The iPod came out in two thousand one. I want to say so. At this point, we've yeah. we've been selling iPods for four years, um, and they've worked. And at this point, they've prob- they've worked out like selling music through iTunes and getting it on your iPod and all that stuff. So, but uh, I don't know if they ever allowed that kind of thing. So I, I'm not positive on that. But uh, the third one totally seems plausible that it would take 10 years to, or what 12 years to litigate this thing Uh, and it is true that the iPhone did not release with third-party app support there was that whole sweet solution which was web apps that didn't work very well Um, uh, and people are so happy so I I, again seems totally plausible I don't know what that last one is referring to Uh, it could be the most recent one but retail competition kind of makes me think that it's like something to do specifically with the Apple, Apple stores uh So, and I don't remember how long there have been Apple stores. I think it goes back to like certainly before the iPhone. I don't think it predates iOS ten, but but a long time they've had Apple stores. So it could even be an older case. I have a question. (sighs) So,
3: is Apple is is the retail a trick? Is it related to the App Store? Because if 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 it's related to the App Store, then I mean like. Anyone being paying attention to the news in the last couple of years has just been like, right? Oh, okay, Fortnite versus Apple kind of thing.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that it very, that could very well be. To me – so uh, for the record, Dimitri's not going to help us at all. <laughs> so, There's a lot of crosstalk
0: going on. <laughs> You're not going to get an answer to that at all until after we're done.
2: Uh, but I think retail means to me – my thought process is that he put that in there for us to think that it means brick and mortar, but, but he yeah, could yeah. also be tricking us. That's the thing is that Dimitri is, he's slick and devious. he he's devious. And he, if you've, if you've seen this before on our show, like he loves to do weird stuff. Um, so it could or at it least really Ben could, likes the claim
0: idea <laughs>
2: every single time. <laughs> yeah. It makes it more interesting. So, uh, anyway, so it could, it could, to be honest, Tom, it could go either way. Like it either could be that he's focusing <laughs> on brick and mortar or he could be trying to throw us off. Um, So I'm, I'm gonna go. One is I feel like one is solid. I'm gonna go number two because I I have this same sort of feeling that Fernando had about the Real Networks thing. But but that is as is usually the case when I vote. It's it's uh, it's weak. It's it's a weak argument. (laughs) I don't have a ton of faith in it.
0: So we have. Oh,
2: sorry.
0: So we have the completionists on number two, and our guests uh, spread out on three and four. Uh, Tom, any final words? Since you're trying to remember something,
3: I want to. I'm trying to remember if, like, 2005, like 2001 to 2005, if Apple was allowing their users to put uh, any MP3 uh, file onto Anything. their iPods, or if it had to come through the iTunes Store. Because I know they were really fighting all that um, Napster, uh, torrenting, sharing, you know, all that kind of stuff at the mm-hmm. time. And so that's where I'm thinking, like. Maybe the real network thing was real? I don't know. I I don't know.
2: (laughs) We'll find out. (laughs) An
0: interesting (laughs) thought process. Um, (laughs) So let's start with number one, since you all agree on uh, number one. Um, So this was a particular case of uh, Apple falling in decline and publishing houses not wanting to be stuck with Mac hardware that would not work anymore, uh, being entirely dependent on the Mac OS ecosystem, uh, which is a complete fabrication that I made up. Uh, so I am sorry to say that this <laughs> one is all a wrong. compiler error. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that each of you added your own little details to this as you went. <laughs> 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 this is what happens. This is, this is why we wow, all hate this <laughs> segment. So I have no clue... Yeah. I have no clue if Apple had an antitrust case before 2005 uh, or not. So, this may, there may have been one earlier or not, but I completely made this uh, one up. So, uh, thank you everyone for falling for that. Um, <laughs> foiled again. <laughs> foiled again. Uh, but we can talk about the other ones. Uh, so, statement number two uh, this was a real thing and it came just on the heels of uh, real networks, which had the real player. Um, I think Fernando uh posted a, a thing in our private uh chat about that i think fernando really likes when he goes first because then he can just research all of them uh immediately <laughs> yeah, afterwards yeah. and just like get it As off his a good, yeah anxiety <laughs> just like move on oh wait that's
5: that's not it but you can check it out i posted a link in the chat but that's not what we were talking about not really oh, sorry, um, go, go ahead to me
0: so, so yeah, just on the heels of them making their Harmony technology work with the iPod, I guess like as an app. I don't know because the iPod you could always put MP3s on that you ripped from CDs, uh, which has always been a thing before the iTunes Music Store. Um, so uh, they I'm had pretty beef sure with Apple. Real Networks had like a custom format, right? It wasn't I'm MP3. I'm sure, probably, yeah. Yes. It was probably their own proprietary thing, um, yes. and they were suing Apple over a, only working with Fair Play stuff and non, mm-hmm. non-ripped, uh, non-DRM'd uh, content, because CDs. Um, so yeah, that that is a completely true um, antitrust case. Sorry, Fernando and Ben uh, for falling for that one. Uh, number three, Andrew, uh, you believe this one to be false, um, but it was unfortunately true that immediately after Apple came out with the iPhone uh, as a version 1.1.1 1. 1 or something... Uh, someone decided to sue, but it was not only because uh, there were no third-party apps, though that was a part of it. Uh, the second thing was because it was locked to AT&T's network. Um, and oh. little by little, this case fell apart. Uh, like, AT&T no longer be- was the sole uh, contractor for... Mm-hmm. Um, not mm-hmm. contractor, but mobile... Um, provider. Provider. There we go. Yeah. Uh, for iPhones. And then little by little, there was, like, nothing left to the case by 2019, and it was thrown out. Uh, so uh they've been fighting for uh apps on the app store since before there was an app store um and statement number 4 uh what do you think this case refers to i'm curious to hear
5: uh this could be something about them um removing products from the app stores from the from the retail the apple stores apple stores yeah mm. So, right. I can add that
0: th- it is brick and mortar related. Yes. And it has nothing to do with apps. This is the ebooks case. Oh, the ebooks case. So, uh, the, Apple was, uh, uh, there was compelling evidence that Apple was trying to price fix actual books in retail stores, and that's what uh, kind of made them lose the whole thing. Um, oh, wow. And yeah, that was an unfortunate time for eBooks because Amazon which, won in the which end. <laughs> is,
2: which is which is funny because literally at the exact same time that there's this alleged, alleged collusion happened, which you know I don't I don't doubt that it probably did. Mm-hmm. Amazon was definitely colluding and definitely bringing down the price of eBooks, and also had like a humongous monopoly in that market. and And they were like, "No, that's fine," but Apple, how dare you?
0: Yeah, so fun uh, antitrust. Uh, we're about to hear a lot more of it in the coming months, <laughs> yeah. as we do every day with new PRs that seem to come out. Um, so, uh, yay. So thank you thank you all for playing that. That was fun, uh, for mm-hmm. me, at least. It's fun. <laughs> it's always <laughs> the most fun for, to me. <laughs> so thank you so much, Andrew and Tom, for joining us this week. Is there anything uh, else that you'd like for our audience to know about? Maybe, Tom, your other apps that may or may not remain unnamed? <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> nope
0: nope. <laughs> and how can everyone go download follow recipe box. <laughs> nice. yeah go download recipe box exactly and buy, buy the in-app purchase it's only $5 like come on yep. you spend more doing like various things uh, that you don't even need so uh, what better way to spend it than to get an excellent app that can save recipes right for sure I'm sold um, <laughs> so, so how can everyone follow uh, both of you on
3: twitter um, I am at London Atlas, um, all one word, all lowercase. Um, I don't really post, <laughs> i got to admit, uh, it's something <laughs> that I'm trying to work on, but every time I finish something, it's like, I want to go to bed instead. So, and then the next morning I've forgotten what I've done. So, <laughs> so uh, I am trying to actually, uh, be more, uh, you know, produce more things for Twitter to share like, Oh, I found this, this is cool. But yeah, right now
1: not that exciting I gotta admit yeah man at Andrew Kozlik just one word Um, I actually deleted Twitter from my phone to try to reduce my screen time but I am on there (laughs) way too much on my computer so definitely reach out I love talking about indie hackers stuff people starting their own businesses I will be actively involved in a conversation around that stuff so definitely reach out
3: that's a good point. Awesome. Uh, I do respond to messages. I just don't post things willy nilly.
4: Yeah, I Probably think cats
0: post things willy nilly, right? It's like a good excuse to.
3: You're not going to find out the sandwich that I had for lunch. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But maybe one day if we add social features to a uh, recipe <laughs> yes, <that's> right. He's <laughs> bringing it back. He's bring, you'll like know when it's, it's being it. developed, right?
0: <laughs> you'll know exactly when it's being developed because there's going to be a lot of testing all of a sudden on Tom's account. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> saying, Tom's supposed
1: you're, to be, you're supposed to be sharing all these recipes. <laughs>
2: Tom's tweeting like 20 times a day now. What's going on? It's all the same recipe. <laughs> what could it mean? just
1: me tweeting for Tom. <laughs> But thank you guys for having us on the show. This is awesome. This is a lot of fun.
3: Thank you very much.
0: So as always, I want to personally thank everyone uh, for listening in this week. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Code Completion to know when new episodes get released. And feel free to tweet at us if there's ever a topic you'd like for us to dig into. Uh, And most importantly, as a small podcast, uh, please be sure to share this with your friends and family who are also interested in any part of the process of app development. It's your support that enables us to continue doing this, and we hope to grow a healthy community around everything we discuss. Uh, so once again, I want to give my thanks to Ben, who is at Ferris Guy, that's F-E-R-R-O-U-S-G-U-Y on Twitter, and Fernando, who is at From Junior to Senior, that's F-R-O-M-J-R-T-O-S-R on Twitter for joining me this week. My name, once again, is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Bunyol, that's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L, and we'll see you all next week.
2: Bye. Um, so what are the rules course, around, like, you, like, you import a recipe from a website, like, is that are you committing like copyright infringement or like, how does that work? Yeah.
1: Um, no, I mean, it's private, right? So
5: yeah, it's for personal uh, use.
4: Yeah.
1: Yeah. This, so this is a really important thing to us. We, it's really important to us that we align ourselves with the block, with bloggers and stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. Like we don't want to take traffic from, from them. Um, so if you use our app and you save a recipe, you'll mm-hmm. see a stripped-down version of it, right? Mm-hmm. I assume, to me, you saving the recipe is like you printing it, right? Like yeah. it's right. I don't, I don't, I don't see anything wrong with that. The bloggers mm-hmm. might, right? Um, but for our search engine and our website, we always link to the original blog. Okay. It's really important to us that we're being seen as a, as a way to drive traffic to these yeah. websites. Right. So yeah, they might lose the one view on somebody like saving the recipe, right? And so I think mm-hmm. there's some there's some there's some stuff there, right? There's yeah. stuff in some gray area. But we try to push as much traffic as possible nice. uh, to the bloggers. And we might eventually okay. just stop showing those stripped down versions just depending on how things go. And right. we have a process where people can actually file a DMCA takedown. So they mm. can just say, Hey, this is my stuff or whatever, I just don't want you to on, mm-hmm. use it on the app. So I flag it in the database and it won't show up in search results, it won't do any of that. We also have our website set to do um, no indexing on hmm. recipe on the actual recipes. Okay. So, so if you send somebody a link yeah, to the website, right, we don't want we don't want their Google traffic, we don't want any of that. Right. So right. we'd keep the crawlers off of those pages nice. um, just in the interest of not taking traffic away, right? right. So it's definitely, there's definitely some gray area there, but it's like, is it copyright to bookmarks? Like, like Pocket, you know, there's a lot of apps out there that take content and then show it in a new way to read it, right? Like, there's precedent for these apps, but we're not going to fight anybody on it, right? If somebody doesn't want their stuff on their website, but it's like, oh, yeah, it's cool. We'll take it down. Right. And it's all right. good. You know, it was, People I think it was this recipes, year. Right.
3: I think it was this year. Uh, around I want to say April, March, Aprilish, where a new recipe app came out and they were flogging it to um, like lots of ads. Like I, I saw mm-hmm. it blowing up on like Twitter and Reddit and places mm-hmm. like that. And they got into a lot of shit because they were marketing um, their app as like a way to get rid of all the cruft that mm-hmm. um, oh. recipe you know recipe bloggers write. Like
4: mm-hmm.
3: people it's it, this is gonna sound bad but <laughs> people don't want to read that stuff they just want the recipe and yeah, but it's right, through right. those like dietary but i want and, like, to know why story. they
0: fell in love with the pie that they met in france <laughs> <laughs> along yeah. the river that one time yeah. because it's so important to like contextualizing right. the flavors
3: that and it that, that's, that's actually the copyrighted part of their of their recipe right because it's a right. it's a story that belongs to them uh because mm-hmm. you uh at least to our limited research, you can't, uh, copyright a set of instructions. So like you, mm, you know, yep. put X amount of ingredients in at you know, these different stages. You can't, you can't do that. So that's why they have these like, huge diatribes. But, um, their there, the other, uh, recipe of failure was marketing on that, uh, whereas mm-hmm. we've done the polar opposite of, mm-hmm. we want to drive traffic to your website and. We also want to allow the user to be able to just see like the, the stripped down version once they've chosen to save your recipe after reading it.
1: Um, mm-hmm. yeah. We don't advertise that feature at all. We don't tell okay. people, "Hey, you could, we'll strip out the stuff mm-hmm. out." Right, mm-hmm. like that's that's how dedicated we are to make sure that we're like doing everything we can to try to make sure that we're still driving traffic. Right, like
3: we have a paid we're, preview. We're really to... Yeah, we have a paid preview feature. Where uh, you go to discovery, you tap on one of the recipes that you find. It will load up the original website, but then in the top uh, left-hand corner there'll be a button if you've paid for it uh, called Preview. You can tap on Preview, and then that will give that will show you the stripped-down version. Uh, it won't save it for you. You'll just kind of get that quick glimpse, um, and from there you can save and go and have a look at it later on. But the point of that, the point that I was trying to make was, we show the original. Like we we don't we don't try and um, block the original creator in any way we don't try and uh, take their stuff
4: yeah.
1: that's good yeah, yeah and it's, it's funny because searching recipes still kind of sucks like <laughs> if you search for if you search for I mean I mean this exact thing that we're talking about right like going to write articles to feed into Google's SEO because SEOs for Google is hitting the content on the page but not the recipe, if that makes sense. Mm
4: -hmm. So
1: they're writing all this content to try and get people to go to their blog. But as an actual recipe search engine, it's not very good. right? right? So that's one of the long-term things that we want to do with uh, Recipe Box is we want to make it a solid recipe search engine. Um, So I don't think we're there yet, but we've got some cool things we're starting to do in that space. Like we want to be able to, so we want to be able to find blogs for like people of color right and try to mm. elevate some of the recipes and to mm. and get more eyes on those right mm-hmm. like i cook a lot mm. of indian food my wife's a vegetarian and like i'll do a search for like chana masala and one of the top recipes is like chana masala that some like white girl made mm-hmm. and it's like i really want white girl chana masala right <laughs> like i want Nani chala chana masala, you know, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. reminds me of the and fried so rice figure out, uh, uh, what's that? debacle that
0: happened. Um, I forget what his name is. Um, Uncle Roger and uh, the fried <laughs> rice, uh, instructions <laughs> made that. by someone who did not know how to cook rice. Um, but they were cooking a very different kind of rice, and there's like a whole bunch of culture that you can miss just by watching that one video but uh it's fascinating how like the rabbit hole that that one video kind of introduces you to um with regard to like that but it it seems like uh recipe box can become an excellent index to a bunch of great recipes to kind of funnel the traffic their way because essentially it's someone putting the work into to make a recipe right um, it's not just them writing about their experience around uh, having that flavor for the first time. No, they're they're putting work into building out their blog, and mm-hmm. you want to be respectful of that. And it's great that you are. Um, whereas some other developers may just see it as a uh, pit of content that they can just
1: go ahead and use and not um, right. think twice about Right. It. Yeah. I wouldn't want somebody to take my content. And, you know, I, I get it. Um. But that's why we, we, we try to make sure we're making the right decisions. It, it's, there's definitely a gray area, though. It's the thing I, the, the thing we worry about the most with our app being you know, on the App Store is somebody filing enough DMCA takedowns as they take it out of the App Store, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's an app called yeah. Copy Me to that, and that's exactly what happened to them. And if that were to happen, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it just would wouldn't be good. And it affects our revenue, too. Yeah. Like, we don't run ads because I don't want interstitial ads that are being prompted based on content that other people wrote mm, and mm-hmm. didn't give us licensing to use, mm-hmm. if that makes yeah. sense. yeah. That's why we're trying to go the sponsored recipe route, right? Like instead of just doing like interstitials or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, if or promoting other people's recipes, right? What's that?
0: Like working directly with the, the blog authors to promote a recipe of theirs in your app.
1: Yeah, exactly. Just most of them don't like apps like ours, right? Because they mm-hmm. see it as taking traffic away from them. And that's not... It's just it's just a, it's a really challenging area to be in. And it's one of those things that kind of slows down our revenue growth a little bit and everything. So we have to make sure when we do it, we do it in a way that it doesn't look like we're trying to take advantage of these bloggers and everything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had conversations with some of them, and they haven't always gone well. You know, I mean, they're friendly enough, but they're just like, I don't like what you're doing. You know, it's yeah. so, like, well, that's fine. There's also nothing illegal about it, so <laughs> right, yeah, <laughs> it's okay. We'll just take your stuff down. It's all yeah. good.
0: So you you bring up an interesting memory of mine. So uh, when the app store just came out, I was about 16, I think. I made a periodic table app called Elements, um, and I was I just collecting that. all the information. Huh?
3: I think I downloaded that. <laughs>
0: It was the the orange icon with a CF. Uh, so if that's the um, one, then thank you.
3: Sounds familiar. Um, that sounds very
4: familiar. <laughs> uh,
0: it's not on the App Store anymore. In fact, it recently broke with iOS fourteen point six, I think, and I got a ton of support email for an app that I'll was not able... on the App Store for years.
3: Do you think I'll be <laughs> able to download fine. it again? <laughs> on this oh wow! Uh, it,
0: it's it's still on the App Store, I think. Okay. Like if yeah. if it's in your purchase.
3: so I'll, I'll charge up and have a look.
0: Uh, that's too funny. But um, going back to what you are saying about like communicating with people, uh, with uh, blog authors, um, there's a bunch of YouTube channels that were talking about, like science and stuff, and I wanted to simply link to those videos within my app. Uh, so I wrote, uh, I thought, nicely worded email. Uh, but going back to presenting yourself as a company, not as a 16-year-old, uh, I got a very meanly worded email. I was like, I would never, under any circumstance... Uh, like allow my videos to be used in this context, and like I was heartbroken, <laughs> as you can imagine. Yeah. Um, so when you were saying like it doesn't always go as, as as smoothly when you're trying to make those uh, conversations go through, like I, I definitely remember
4: that.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's I've had some pretty terrible things said about myself right um, because of the app, but. I get it. Like, I mean, ultimately, I don't know. It's, it's there's a gray area there for sure. It's not that simple. If you're monetizing other people's content, right? There's a problem with that. I, I get that. Um, if you're trying to show content as being blunt to you, right? Which is probably what the challenge was with your app was they wanted people to think it's your Elements app videos, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, people are very productive of that. But we try to make sure we're up front about like, putting people's domains on there. We're going to put down an update soon that puts up the, uh, the domain on the exact search result. So overlaid over the images. Mm. Um, nice. The images are a big thing. Like like we use the images that are set, in the meta tags, in the like the open graph image that you would use mm-hmm. for like when you're unfurling something in Slack or something like that. I consider the that to be fair use like that's what that image is there for so if you're going to link to this site use this image Mm -hmm. the bloggers disagree like yeah ultimately present
0: yourself more as a google for recipes than uh, something that's collecting recipes
1: yeah and that's what we're trying to do right um and we'll, we'll get there but I mean, the, those images are there for the specific reason that we're using, right? right? Like exactly that. Like it's
2: literally like, meant for a preview on other sites, right? That's yeah. the whole thing, right? Point. In fact, like, you
0: specified it that's here, the right? Here? Your code. Yeah. It's like what code? <laughs> I didn't write any code.
1: That's why I don't feel. That's why I don't feel guilty about it, because like, right. if you as a blogger don't understand that, it's not my job to explain that to you. But I'm right. also not doing anything wrong by using that, right? And so you can think I'm doing something doing something wrong, but like that's just like how Open Graph works. I guess how unfurling right. works when you're sharing links. Like, like right. you might not understand what that is. If you tell me not have permission, I'll take it down. It's all good. Right. But yeah, ultimately, I, I don't see that there's any problems with that because that's, that's why it's in the metadata. Take it out of right. the metadata.